0: 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, I want to read that, but I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, but you can follow along in your Bible, and then I want to read one other text and dive into where we're headed this morning. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, cling to your faith. That's the objective truth of the Word of God. Hang on to it. Cling to it. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. That's subjective. It's what you feel able to do for some people have deliberately violated their consciences as a result their faith has been shipwrecked or another text in Titus chapter 1 verse 15 says to the pure all things are pure but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences have been defiled We spoke a few weeks ago about five soul friends, friends that we cultivate a relationship with that will help us in our self-talk, be those sounding boards to the conversations that we have in our heads. We spoke about God who knows everything that we think and say. He examines our hearts and minds. He knows a thought before we ever have one. We spoke of Christ Jesus who now lives in us. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. We spoke about the Holy Spirit, which we're reminded that the Holy Spirit has been sent now to dwell in us. And we're to walk by the Spirit and to live by the Spirit. And if we walk by the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And then we spoke about the Word of God, the unchangeable, infallible Word of God, which always will be the measure against the things that we speak in our hearts and the truth that we need to gauge those conversations through and by. But we mentioned a fifth friend, which is not like the others. And if you grew up with Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the rest. Well, the conscience is not like the rest. The conscience is fallible. But the conscience is a gift of God to us. The conscience is a faculty that God has given to us, a soul friend, so to speak. And the state of your conscience will have a direct impact on the quality of your self-talk and a direct impact on your behaviors. The conscience is like a moral compass. It's God's monitor in us or God's deputy in us. It's an early warning system, so to speak, of our moral life. And the conscience is something that's to be calibrated by truth or by the Word of God. It is a God-given moral faculty. Many, many hundreds of years ago, there was an occasion in which Martin Luther was being pulled up before the Diet of Worms and charged with heresy. He concluded that it was worth going to prison over to maintain a right conscience than defy his conscience and say what they wanted him to say. And this is what he said to them at the conclusion of his defense. Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of councils or popes, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. That is still exceptional advice for us today. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. It's true that the content of our self-talk and what we think and what we say to ourselves and how we interact with our, our thoughts and our hearts is only known to God and ourselves, but when we have those conversations, there's, there's something else we bounce those off about, or there's something else that speaks to us, so to speak, or there's something else that warns us, and that is the conscience. Now, there's a couple popular images of the conscience that some of you might be familiar with. Some of you are familiar with Pinocchio, and Pinocchio is a Walt Disney movie. I think it was created first back in the 1950s or somewhere around there. And there's a point in the movie in which the blue fairy comes to Pinocchio and, and appoints Jiminy Cricket as the official conscience of Pinocchio and says these words as she makes that appointment. Now remember, Pinocchio, be a good boy and always let conscience be your guy. Now I'm not convinced that that's good advice. Um, at least in the context in which he is given. And certainly there's one author that I read, I I quite appreciate his writing, but he says in his book, 10 Dumb Things That Smart Christians Believe, he says one of them is that statement, always believe your conscience or let your conscience be your guide. Maybe as we get through this, that'll make a little bit more sense. But nonetheless, that's a popular image that some of us have is maybe Jimmy the Cricket. Another one though is, we have two shoulders, and on one shoulder is a shoulder demon, and the other shoulder is a shoulder angel. And that, that's sort of our conscience. It's this battle that we listen to between these, this angel and this demon that's on our shoulder. I'm not convinced that that is the best way to view our conscience either, but it's certainly a popular notion of our conscience. I realized that as I came to think about this that I really have not given a lot of thought in my whole life as a Christian. I'm aware of it. I know it. It does act as a warning system in my life, but I really hadn't given it a ton of thought, which after I thought about it was rather troubling. And when I went looking for help, I realized that not a lot of other people had thought about it either. It's just something we assume. It's it's a word that we sort of throw around. It's a it's a concept that we have, but we don't really think about or argue about a lot. And I think one of the reasons why not a lot is said about conscience today and one of the reasons why it's not really part of our mind anymore is because conscience and sin go together. But certainly with the rise of secular psychology and psychiatry, sin is not a consideration. In fact, the world in which we live is trying to get rid of the, conscience of, con- the consciousness of sin at every turn. It's telling us what is good, is bad, and what is bad is good. It's taking the things that we used to view as sins, and it's saying no, those are no longer sins. Those are fine behaviors. The world is trying to take away and diminish the concepts of guilt and shame. And when you take away the con- or the consciousness of guilt and shame, you null or you you dull or you sear your conscience. But one person has written, maybe the most underappreciated and least understood attribute of humanity is the conscience. We need to think about it. We need to be aware of it. When I came to work on this six, seven weeks ago and started thinking about it, actually, I kept putting off preaching on it because I haven't felt comfortable and I really didn't want to cross the Orange Bridge today either. But I'm here. And I realized as I dove through the Bible that in the New Testament, the word conscience is used 30 times, which kind of initially was a shock to me, 30 times. There is no um, word group for conscience in the Old Testament, but many suggest that the word heart in the Old Testament functions very often like the conscience functions, or certainly um, in the New Testament as it functions There. There was a period of time in church history, particularly between the Reformation and the end of the Puritan Age, in which there were many, many sermons on the conscience. The conscience was front and center in the Christian life, but it's basically dropped off the radar when it comes to Christian living and Christian thinking. And yet, as I've been working this through and thinking and, I, and wrestling, it, I've come to realize afresh that the conscience is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. The conscience is a gift of God to men and women, boys and girls. It's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us in the pursuit of sanctification, holiness, being shaped into the likeness and image of Christ. And one person said, A trustworthy conscience becomes a powerful aid to spiritual growth and stability. Notice the language a trustworthy conscience. A trustworthy conscience becomes a powerful aid to spiritual growth and stability. One of the means in which we grow in faith and we grow in sanctification and holiness is to cultivate a trustworthy conscience. So let me make a couple observations very quickly about conscience. I hope I can make them quickly because I want to get to the rest of it. But conscience is a human capacity. Animals don't have a conscience. Sometimes you might think they do, but they don't. It is a God-given capacity as a means of moral restraint. Animals are not moral things. Things. its maybe not a right way to talk about somebody's pet, that thing of yours. (laughs) Secondly, conscience reflects the moral image of God in us. Remember, we are made in the image of God. Nothing else is in creation. Only human beings, humankind, is made in the image of God. That's why all human beings have a Conscience. There's not a single human being that has ever been born that doesn't have the capacity of conscience because we're all made in the image of God. And the conscience is the innate ability to sense right and wrong. Everybody has a conscience. Even the most wicked of all people has a conscience. And the Bible speaks about, well, you say, well, what about those who have never read the Bible? What about those who don't know God? Well, the Bible speaks to that. He says, when Gentiles, everybody outside of Jews, when the Gentiles do not have the law, um, but do instinctively the thing of the law, these not having the law are a law unto themselves, in that they show that the word of the law is written on their hearts, their consciences bearing witness, and their thoughts alternatively either accusing or else defending them. So every human being that God has ever created, he has implanted an awareness of right and wrong. And the conscience bears witness to that awareness and it either accuses us or it affirms us. Thirdly, the conscience often feels independent. Do you know what I mean there? It's it's a universal experience that consciousness or our conscience is largely autonomous in its operation. Though we can sometimes stifle it and normally speaks independently of our will and it sometimes speaks contrary to our will. And when it speaks, in a strange way, it's distinct from us. We know it's not us. It's distinct from us. It's It's apart from us. It stands over us sometimes, addressing us with this absoluteness of authority which we didn't give it and which we can't take away from it. All human beings intuitively have this awareness of their conscience. We have a sense that What is going on in in us is, is something that's autonomous from us. We don't control it, so to speak. And the conscience is privy to every one of our thoughts, every one of our acts, every one of our deeds. And it's therefore the most accurate and formidable witness when we stand before God. Next, your conscience is a gift of God to you. Like pain is a gift to the human body, your conscience is a gift to your morality. We've talked about leprosy in the past, and leprosy, one of the things that it does is it dulls the nerves in your body. It renders you unable to feel pain. And that's why often people with leprosy for any length of time are disfigured, because something will drop in the fire and they'll reach their hand and grab it and they won't feel any pain or they'll step on a nail and they won't feel it puncture their skin. It's, it's, it's something that is, pain is a necessary part of a healthy body and of living well. In the same way, your conscience functions in your spiritual being. At the end of Romans 14, 22, which I think is a chapter in many ways on the conscience, Paul writes, blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. In other words, blessed is the one who has a clean conscience. Blessed is the one who has a pure conscience. And that word blessed means all the happiness of or all the joy. It is a joy to have a conscience that doesn't nag you. To have a conscience that doesn't offend you or bother you. It's a wonderful source of happiness to live with a clear conscience. Even though everybody around you is doing something else, if you know within your heart that you've done what is right, that brings great joy to your spiritual being. Your conscience also doesn't argue, it's often, most often, black or white. It's not like a dimmer switch, it doesn't do gray well. And so your conscience. That's sometimes why it bothers us so much is because there's no arguing with it. There's no manipulating it. It is either black or white, on or off. Your conscience is yours and yours alone. It's really important that we remember that. There are many things that you and I will share together with our conscience I hesitate to throw one out just in case we don't share them, but certainly the Ten Commandments are something that we affirm and obey, and that our conscience is something that that will warn us or will accuse us if we break any one of those Ten Commandments. But there are literally hundreds of ways in which you and I can have a different conscience. Should I wear a suit to church? Can I mow the lawn on Sunday? Can I have a glass of wine? Um, Should I have four vaccinations? Should I wear a mask? Should I keep safe distance? We have consciences that vary in so many different ways. There are no two consciences that are exactly alike. And if we understood that and sort of had awareness that your conscience might not be the same as mine, it might reduce a lot of the things that cause disunity amongst the people of God. To recognize that whether you eat meat that's offered to idols or don't is really not a big deal. No, that's the wrong way to put it. It is a big deal if you have a weak conscience. But it ought not to be a reason to divide. Your conscience is not the voice of God or the word of God. It does not perfectly align with the will of God. It's a human faculty that judges our actions and thoughts by the light of the highest standard we perceive. So all of us have different standards. It's those standards are constantly being adjusted as we hear the word of God proclaimed or as we read the Bible or as we, as we educate our conscience or as we sear our conscience. But our conscience is, is a moral or is a human moral fact, faculty that judges our actions and our thoughts by the light of the highest standard we perceive. And so when we condemn our conscience, it condemns us. Or when we violate our conscience, it condemns us. It triggers feelings of shame or anguish or regret or consternation or anxiety or disgrace or even fear. And then your conscience can act different ways at different times. And so there's scriptural help there. You can have a conscience or you can make your conscience insensitive. I've got songs running through my head right now but I won't say them. But you can make your Conscience insensitive. The Bible talks about searing the conscience or putting a callous over our conscience. And that happens when you develop the habit of ignoring its voice of warning so that the voice gets weaker and weaker and weaker until it cannot penetrate the hardness of your sin and rebellion. By constantly arguing with your conscience, stifling its warnings and muffling its bells, so to speak, in your mind, its voice will be smothered and eventually silenced. John Stott wrote, If we disregard the voice of conscience, allowing sin to remain unconfessed and unforsaken, our faith will not last long. Anybody whose conscience has been so manipulated as to be rendered insensitive is in a very dangerous condition, wide open to the deception of the devil. So to sear the conscience is to cauterize it or to render it insensitive. Loved ones, don't ignore the voice of your conscience. At the first indication that you have rejected it or gone against it, stop. Ask yourself why. Confess and repent. The second Conscience that we could have, it's on the other side, is to have an oversensitive conscience. I think all of us, maybe at one time, is have an oversensitive conscience, or we believe that others have an oversensitive conscience. It's a conscience that's heavily influenced by rules and regulations. It's a conscience that's, that's often um, comes with being a new Christian or a new follower of Jesus Christ. It's not educated yet in the Word of God, in the fullness of the gospel, and in the, in the whole counsel of God. And so it's oversensitive. And our consciousness can be educated or trained. Remember um, Peter, when he was praying up on his roof one day and he had the vision of this sheet coming down from heaven and on the sheet was all the kinds of forbidden things that they weren't allowed to eat as a Jewish person and God's command was him to take up and eat. And he says, no, I've never eaten anything like that. I'm not going to eat it again. And God says, no, no, it is okay. Take and eat. And so from that day on, he ate those foods and he fellowshiped with Gentiles. He had an oversensitive conscience, which was then informed by what God had done in dealing with the law in Christ. The Bible is very clear, though, very, very clear. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So instead of disregarding your conscience and disobeying your conscience and ignoring it, immerse yourself in the word of God. Educate yourself to Focus on truth, not feelings. Your conscience needs to be persuaded by truth, not by how you feel inside. You need to grow in truth. Finally, before we shift gears and run out of time, the word conscience is a fascinating word. It's made up of two words, actually, in the Latin— one is scientia, which means to know or to understand, and the other is con, which means together with. And so your conscience, it means to know with or to understand with. It means to share knowledge with. And so I, I guess the question then in my mind then is, who do I hold knowledge in common with? Like my conscience is it's knowledge in common with. Well, with who? Well, I think there's two answers. One, it's knowledge with yourself. Your conscience knows you better than anybody else human. It knows all of your thoughts. It knows all of your decisions. It knows every direction you've ever taken. It knows every argument you've ever made. It knows every conversation you've ever held with yourself. And so your conscience is something that you share knowledge together with that nobody else has. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 says, for who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So you and your conscience have shared knowledge of Yourself, but the other hand, we also our consciences share knowledge with God. God and our con- God knows our conscience perfectly, and our conscience will bear perfect witness before God of all that we have ever said or done or thought. The self knowledge that we have with ourselves is shared through our conscience with God, and so it is our conscience you wonder, well, how will God judge us? Well, in part, he's not going to judge us on stuff we never knew. He's not going to judge us on people on stuff they've never heard. He will judge them according to how they responded to the moral faculty that God put in them and the highest understanding of right and wrong that God placed in them. And the conscience will bear witness before God. So you, you won't be able to say, well, I didn't know that or no, that, that, that was not something that I had any awareness of. No, it's your conscience has perfect knowledge of you and God has shared knowledge of that as well. So some similes and metaphors of the conscience. I think I'm only going to share two. I have three, but I'll share two. Um, the first is the soul's automatic warning system. One of the, I think, most helpful books on the conscience was written back in 1996 by John MacArthur. It's just called The Vanishing Conscience. It's well worth, the library has a copy of it, it's well worth a read. But he begins somewhere early in the book by describing or telling uh, the account of an Avianca Airlines jet crash um, back in 1984. And investigators were studying the accident, as they do, of all of these um, sort of airplane accidents. And they made this kind of eerie discovery. They recovered the black boxes, which you know are the uh, cockpit recorders. And in it, it revealed that several minutes before the actual crash took place and impact, there was this shrill, computerized, synthesized voice from the plane's automatic warning system in English, which repeatedly said, pull up, pull up. And the pilot, evidently thinking that the system was malfunctioning in some way, snapped, shut up, gringo, shut up, gringo, and turned the system off. And it was only minutes later that that plane crashed into a hillside and everyone on board was killed. John MacArthur notes in recounting that, that it's a perfect parable of the way modern people treat the warning messages of their consciences today. How many people say to their conscience, shut up. Be quiet. It's happening all over this community, this province, this country, and this world. Again and again and again, people are counseled to turn off that warning system. The conscience tells us to pull up before it's too late. A second sort of illustration of the conscience, which I think is helpful as well. It's a monitor, a monitor that God has placed in us. One is written, an educated, sensitive conscience is God's monitor. I, I, I like the way that an educated, sensitive conscience is God's monitor. It alerts us to the moral quality of what we do or plan to do. It forbids lawlessness and irresponsibility. It makes us feel guilt and shame and fear of future retribution that it tells us we deserve. And when we have allowed ourselves to defy and when we have allowed ourselves to defy its restraints. Packer says this, Satan's strategy is to corrupt, desensitize and if possible kill our consciences. Think about that in your own day-to-day life. Think about it as you observe the world. Think about that as you watch the movies that you might watch, or the shows that you might watch, or the words that you might read. The relativism, materialism, narcissism, secularism, and hedonism of today's Western world help him mightily towards his goal. His task is made yet simpler by the way in which the world's moral weaknesses have been taken into the contemporary church. That's a strong comment, but it's true. What do we say about sexuality? What do we say about the roles of men and women? What do we say about various ethical realities? What do we say about euthanasia? What do we say about abortion? He writes, Satan has made great headway in the battle for our consciences. So he says the conscience is a monitor The conscience is meant to work against the backdrop of sin. You take away sin, you take away morality, and our conscience becomes increasingly silenced. And so by attacking sin and by undermining sin, people's consciences are being silenced. Their blindness is becoming more profound, the hardness of their hearts more dangerous. And the result is that the gospel falls on deaf ears. Do you understand why the church preaches about sin? Do you understand why we talk about the law and the Ten Commandments? Because it is through speaking of sin and speaking of the law that your conscience functions and your conscience tells you when you have broken a law and then your own guilt and shame try and say to yourself, well, what do I do now? How do I deal with that? I know I've done something wrong. How do I make it right? And that's where the gospel shines. Is it not? Because there's nothing that you can do to wash away the stain of your sin, to pay the penalty of your sin. But Christ has done it all. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But if you never hear about sin, you never hear about the law, why will the gospel mean anything to you? To devalue sin is to silence the conscience and actually undermine the gospel itself. There can be no salvation for those who aren't convinced of the seriousness of sin. We need to educate our consciences. I think one of the first places of the education of the conscience is in the home. I think as parents and grandparents, you need to talk in biblical language about behaviors with your children, you need to be clear about sins. You need to be clear about why they feel guilt or shame. You need to be clear about how that is reconciled through Christ. Use the language of the Bible to describe the behaviors of your children to them so that they see their need of the gospel. It's the role of the church as well, is it not? It's why we preach the Bible. We, we preach the Bible. You know, it's not the easiest thing all the time, is it, to even open the Bible and read it? But to open the Bible and preach it or to teach it or share it in a group, it's not the easy thing because there we read what God's standards are. There we read about God's hatred of sin. There we read about his righteous requirements. There we read about how we offend him when we walk away from him, when we disregard him. As we read the, the Bible, we learn about about God and about our relationship to Him. And as we do, our conscience is educated and informed and strengthened. We need to calibrate our consciences. Calibrate simply means to make it right. Okay. I, I'm starting to... Um, make my own bullets. I probably shouldn't have said that, but I am. (laughs) And one of the things that you need to do is you need to measure the amount of powder that you use in each bullet precisely. If you get it wrong, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And so every time you start, you have to calibrate your scale to make sure that it's giving you an honest, correct weight measurement. It's the same with our... Consciences, we need to calibrate them so they speak more and more accurately. How do we do that? I think the first thing is you start by trusting Christ. The first way to calibrate your conscience is to trust Christ. To allow the Spirit of God to call out to the Spirit of God to give you new life. It begins by being a new creation in Christ Jesus. It begins by being born again. There's something extraordinary that happens when all of a sudden you you realize the forgiveness of sins, but your eyes are opened up in a whole new way, in a fuller way, and in actually sometimes a scary way to the righteousness and holiness of God. But when the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you and when you start reading the Bible and when you start hearing the Word proclaimed, you, you begin to realize that your conscience begins to speak more often about more things in your life. Because now, more than ever, you're aware of things that God is concerned about morally. And it's as you are aware of that, then, that you wonder, well, what can I do? Well, that's where you turn to the scriptures, and you find there that the blood of Christ is able to cleanse your conscience that those things when you have told it to be quiet when you've told it to shut up when you've ignored it when you've seared your conscience as you are made new by the work of Christ and you realize that your conscience is screaming at you then you go before Christ and it says the blood of Christ cleanses your conscience what a joy that is There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners pledged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. So you calibrate your conscience by having Christ give you new life. But then you do it in an ongoing way by regularly confessing and repenting of those times when you ignore your conscience, of those times when you sin. Don't allow your conscience to harden, don't render it insensitive to sin by ignoring it or telling it to be quiet. Rather, at the first sign that you have disobeyed your conscience, at the first sign that you have done something against your conscience which says no, don't do that, confess that sin and forsake it. Turn away from it. The Proverbs 28:18 says, "Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy." We say this verse so often, right? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. If another is involved, pursue reconciliation with them. If your conscience is bothering you about a relationship with somebody that is somehow marred, then go and make it right. The wonder of a pure conscience it's a real joy, you know, as you, as you more and more live a life in which your conscience doesn't accuse you. This must have been a joy Paul knew because he said, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clean conscience. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to say. I know I have a clean conscience. I know that I am right with God. I know that when God's word speaks to me, I obey it. I know when the Spirit of God leads me, I walk after him. It's possible to be able to say with Paul, I am sure that I have a clean conscience. Remember, though, the conscience is not infallible. The conscience is not a source of revelation about right and wrong. And its role is not to teach us moral and ethical standards, but rather to hold us accountable to the highest standard of right and wrong that we know. That's also one of the reasons why we have different consciences. So as such, the conscience functions like a skylight, not a light bulb. It, let light, it lets life into the soul. It doesn't produce its own We need to let light in so that our conscience measures to the highest standard of right and wrong we know. Three ways we do it quickly. I run out of time, but read the Word of God. That's how you calibrate your conscience. You want to calibrate your conscience? Harness it to the Word of God. Saturate your heart and mind with the truth of Scripture. The conscience operates best when it is informed by the word of God. Hear the word of God. This is so encouraging that, that you are here today, not to hear me or anybody else, but that you want to hear the word of God proclaimed because you want to hear what God has to say. You want to be encouraged. You want to be given hope. I hope sometimes we want to be convicted as well. And so your conscience is calibrated as you hear the word of God proclaimed. And somebody says, thus saith the Lord, or we read scripture or we sing scripture. It's a wonderful way to calibrate your conscience. You come in from the week, and you might have said to your conscience, be quiet. And you come here and you hear somebody declare or read a word of God and all of a sudden you're reminding and you say, oh, Father, I'm sorry. I ignored my conscience. Obey your conscience. I wish I could spend a a bit more time um, saying that, but uh, almost in all circumstances, obey your conscience. Rather than saying no... Figure out why you are troubled by what your conscience is telling you, and then either change what you're doing or educate your conscience. I think the general rule is, as a Christian, you should always obey your conscience. If you think it's warning you incorrectly, don't ignore it or disobey it, for to you that would be a sin, even if the action is not sinful in itself. For whatever is not of faith is sin, You know, if your conscience is generally unreliable, then it wouldn't be of much use, would it? If you had a compass that didn't work, why would you ever take it out in the woods if you were going hiking somewhere? It'd be kind of a dumb thing to do. Your conscience is not generally unreliable. Your conscience is a moral faculty given by God to you to help you make your way Through this world, it's a precious gift of God, an automatic warning system, a monitor inside you to be calibrated by truth. I want to end by just reading this hymn. I didn't realize that there was a hymn on the conscience, but there is, written by Charles Wesley, and it was titled For a Tender Conscience. I want a principle within of watchful, godly fear, a sensibility of sin, a pain to feel it near. I want the first approach to feel of pride or wrong desire to catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire. From thee that I no more may stray thy goodness or thy goodness grieve grant me the filial all I pray the tender conscience give quick as the apple of my eye and I, O God, my conscience make awake my soul when sin is nigh and keep it still awake. Almighty God of truth and love to know thy power in part. The mountain from my soul removed the hardness from my heart. Oh, may the least omission pain my reawakened soul and drive me to that blood again which makes the wounded whole. Oh, I want a conscience that is tender before God. Father, we thank you for this time together. As we continue to reflect on various themes in your word, it's helpful to reflect on this. You have spoken a lot about it in your word to us. It is possible for us to have a good conscience and a clean conscience. Help us to that end, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.